Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. This week we're going to do something a little different and also exactly the same. This is an intro to an old episode because this week we are discussing Halloween from 1978. Just in time for the beginning of spooky season, but... We've already talked about Halloween from 1978, so we're going to discuss it a little in terms of the thrills list and what we thought about it or think about it now, several years after we talked about it in the first place, and then we're going to just cut into the old episode, yes. so it's new like, to uh, you. New to you. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, so first things first... Uh, I'm not even going to ask how your week was because, y'all, we're outside of time and space. There is no week. Uh, But I will ask you, still a fan of John Carpenter's original Halloween movie? I am a fan of John Carpenter's original Halloween movie and the way that it... We're looking at movies Mm -hmm. that have changed the dynamic. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about the thrills list is how often you're looking at films that have changed the way that other films got made. Fair enough. And um, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Goldfinger. We have. We've seen um, The Wild Bunch. We have. And when you look at these films, uh, you realize that they've actually changed the way that other movies or other similar stories were being told. Mm -hmm. And for Halloween, it was like that. Yeah. And not just other stories, but it's it itself has been retold two different times. Um, The the current trilogy, which we've only seen the first one of, I don't know why we haven't seen the second one yet, uh, is sort of a pickup where that first set left off. Right. And then Rob Zombie had his copies, and, or not copies, his, his versions right. in the middle, which you didn't care for, but I really like. I really wanted everyone to get a haircut or take a bath. You feel like that in every Rob Zombie movie, uh, it's though. Just, and it's not that I don't appreciate Rob Zombie's, um, like a lot of his themes and things like that. I just, his aesthetic. Yeah, no, you know, it, for a person who doesn't enjoy germs, he's not for you. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. But in terms of the original film, I think it it was one of those movies. I was discussing this with a friend yesterday um, about the the end of well, how horror moves in cycles. Yeah. And so a uh, producer who worked for Hammer Films was talking about the end of the Hammer Films mm-hmm. as a studio and how it ended because people in the states were producing movies that Hammer should have been producing. Right. They became stuck in this kind of gothic right. presentation, and they had horror stars, which I miss having like an actor who you're going to look at them and say, oh, they're going to give you a great performance. Right. That doesn't quite happen anymore. But, um, but. Well, was, I think that's largely because even if somebody is very good in a horror performance, horror movies don't pay the way that. Like, right. Tom Hiddleston is great in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I thought he was great in Crimson Peak, for instance. But he's going to be Loki because he's going to get paid. Right. <laughs> I mean, there was the the horror stars that were Lugosi and mm-hmm. Karloff mm-hmm. and and then people who went back and forth like Peter Laurie. Yeah. Who was just really interesting to look or at. Or Donald Pleasance. Right. And that was the second generation of them. The Christopher oh, Lees, enough, yeah. the Peter Cushing's. Uh, Donald Pleasance is another one, like you said. And 
and Vincent Price was another one who were just like in those cases these really towering guys. Yeah. And even like someone like in in maybe mm-hmm. even the next iteration we're talking about somebody like Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. Who did this and has done other Oh, she is a scream queen, but she's also a comedian and right. action movie. Like, she's they in... They diversified. Yes. And I think uh, there's a very interesting book by John Brosnan, Horror People, that talks about... It was written just after The Exorcist. Okay. Which we're going to see eventually. Eventually. Very very late in the series. It's and, like number three or something right. like that. And the idea was all of the people, Cushing and Lee and the rest, agreed The Exorcist was a brilliant piece of filmmaking, but this is the end of what they can do. Mm-hmm. Because they're saying, after this, what are we going to do? Like, How do we go back to... Apparently we did, for some, you know, in a way. But um, there was no way of going back to doing a lot of the subtler kinds of films once you'd seen, you know, the bile and the people mm-hmm. floating the ceiling. Well, and I would argue that there are different yeah. ty- levels right. of horror. And, like, I can't... Right Mm. now, just because of the way the world is and the way that my psyche is within it, I can't watch a lot of this. And right now, we're in a weird horror cycle where it feels like every third movie is cannibals. And I'm just like, Um, um, And that's that's kind of what, (laughs) when I, uh, when Brosnan wrote Future Tense and also when, uh, in the book English Coffee, they were talking about how the dynamic changed with, Jonathan Rigby wrote, um, English Gothic, which is I, a book that I feel like read. I usually look at that book. Is that book not in here? <laughs> I feel it's like it's hundred. yeah. I see the Hammer book and I see mm-hmm. the Christopher Lee book, and I but I feel like I've definitely yes. spent episodes of this podcast just looking at the words English Gothic. And he, it's part of the series where he went through the Italian films and the others. But what started with Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. and then films like The Exorcist, films like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, it's the it, it pushed the envelope so far that they weren't competing. And You're talking about a splatter right situation as was, opposed yeah. to like a like a what's is it? Don't look now, like a like a creepy right. But don't look now actually also has kind of it like, does it does. But it does what that. worked really well for John Carpenter was that he did dial it back and did ratchet up the suspense at the same time. It does because there is something almost ethereal about Michael Myers. Right. Um, that while he is um, explicitly uh-huh. and graphically violent to his victims, that's only like 3% of what you yes. actually see him doing. More often, he's just the shape. Right. He's just and that's lurking. What... <laughs> Worked for me also was having uh, watched the movies that made us and revisited Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. which was made in a direct. Um, I've never seen the original Friday the Thirteenth, yes, well, so <laughs> uh, it was made as a direct response to Halloween because the notion was Sean Cunningham is well they didn't do any gore so we're going to go overboard on the gore. I would argue that pinning a, a human mm-hmm. to a wall with a knife is gory. Well, it's. <laughs> But there wasn't the sort of geysers of, of blood. Right, it is that, understated, that, comparatively. Uh, right, and so when Tom Savini got called in to do this, you know, part of the 13th, mm-hmm. 
It's oh, I didn't realize know, it was him. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He just the, the, that's really the reason to watch it. That and perhaps a really young Kevin Bacon who's like, oh, that guy's going places. He but, he was compelling. Right. He was a compelling performer. He's still a compelling performer, yeah. But when you uh what I liked about Friday the thirteenth is that it did. It's like there was the direction that everyone else was going in and then John Carpenter's kind of I can rein it in and still make it scary. Yeah. And it, he, he and then he goes on and makes f- f- four years later he makes the thing where he's right. like fuck reining it in right I'm remaking a thing that did very much rein it in right and I'm going to have head sprouting ten- tentacle legs and walking around like right <laughs> and that that movie work too and that shows I think a lot of what he can do as a director yeah. He's very talented because he can, well, do you want it light or do you want it heavy? I can still at the same time His Yeah, his filmography really, even for non-horror people, does have something for everyone. Yes, it does. When you're watching a movie like Starman, it's like, no, that's a romantic road film. It is, yeah. It works mostly because of the charisma of these two actors. Which is part of, part of. Carpenter, we've been talking about um, casting, casting right. and and Carpenter is has a gift for that as well. Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so that's yes how we feel about Halloween. Still good, still mm-hmm. thrilling, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and I do think it is almost more of a thriller than a horror movie. It right, is a exactly. horror movie. It absolutely, if you're gonna want a horror that's, movie, yeah. it can be a horror movie, but if you're also up for a thriller, mm-hmm. it absolutely fits that mm-hmm. category as well. Alright, so we're gonna play the mo- or the our previous episode here in just a second, but before I do, I want to go over October 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 um, agenda with you. Let you know what's coming up. I will be putting a uh, I will be putting uh, an icon up on the Facebook page and tweeting it out so you will see what our October agenda is. But I will tell you here, and what our October looks like is, first up, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre from 1948, wherein I believe we don't need no no stinking badges. Uh, That's literally all I know from that movie, so I'm excited to see it. Uh, After that, we are watching The Matrix from 1999, the original. Mm-hmm. The Matrix, which I did just rewatch recently, and I am looking forward to watching again with you. Uh, I have thoughts about the movie, and I'm excited to talk okay. about it. Uh, followed uh, by The Dirty Dozen uh-huh. from 1967, a film I have never seen and don't know anything about. Is it a war movie? It is a World War II film. It yeah. is like the gun. As a matter guns, of fact, it's like the guns. If you take the guns of Navarone and mixed it with a wild bunch. That's kind of what you got. Got you. So there's going to be heisty things? Yes, I love a heisty thing. It's like a heist. Okay. And then finally for October, we have Touch of Evil from 1958, a film I'm pretty sure I've seen but cannot place. It so is what I like about this month is that we're going to be looking at at least two films by certifiable geniuses. We start with John Huston, we end with Orson Welles. I would argue... That in their own way, the Wachowski siblings oh, yes, are geniuses I, as well. <laughs> so, yes. But yeah. what I mean is... Well, that's I right. Mean, it's Orson Welles, so it's going to be... But yes, but, you're, but I don't situation. know how many John Huston films you've seen. Not very many. Wow. Not very many. Mm. I'm a child. So, that's what we're going to look forward to in October. Um, 
I'm going to leave all of the shout-outs and everything from the previous version of this uh, episode in, so you can find us where you always find us, and we will talk to you next week. And here you go. Halloween 1978. Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week we are going to have a Halloween extravaganza. I like that word. Extravaganza. Extravaganza. So we are going to talk about the entirety of the Halloween franchise without talking about the entirety of the Halloween franchise. We're going to talk about 40 years of films in less than 40 years. What? What? We're not going to talk for 40 years. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. And we should preface that with the fact that we did not rewatch all of the films. Uh, rewatch? I have not seen all well, of them. I haven't seen all of them. I have a vague memory of Michael Myers getting in a fist fight with Buster Rhymes. Oh, yeah, um, I've seen that one. This was not the high point. He's his trick or treat motherfucker. <laughs> it's beautiful. So, Halloween is a franchise. It's the fourth most lucrative horror franchise as of 2008. What were the others? I don't know. I just know that it's the fourth most lucrative. (laughs) I'm going to say that the Paranormal Activities movies are probably number one. Uh, and Jason, those Jason and Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Oh, somebody somebody on one of my Facebook feeds put forward a fuck Mary kill situation between Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, and Jason. Go. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) There's there's no good alternatives for any of those things. Here's the only truth in a fuck Mary kill situation with those three characters. All right. You kill Freddy Krueger because he's a fucking pedophile. There we go. The parents had it right. There's no reason for him to come back. You know, that back. got lost over time. That got retconned Yeah, I know. People, right? like, forget that no, that's the I mean, thing. It, I don't think they got retconned. I just think they stopped talking about it. I think when he it. began becoming sort of a folk hero, there was some sort of Maybe, changing of the Maybe, but I will never forget. Mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger looks that way because he was a pedophile and the town set him on fire. Set him on fire. The God parents of the right. town. That's what you should do. Burned his ass alive, and I, I am for one, pretty this message. <laughs> okay with that. So As yeah, you kill Freddy. Uh huh. Yeah, the other two, I don't. <laughs> There's not really a good alternative. I don't know. I think I probably. <laughs> I'm gonna just do it. I'm gonna fuck Michael Myers and marry Jason. I don't. Because Jason is really Jason's mom for a while, so at least somebody will make me a sandwich and go ahead and uh, (laughs) do my laundry. And all Michael Myers wants is to understand human sexuality, and he really, really doesn't. No, he doesn't, and it's a pity. There's, there was, well, moments in this film that made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. So Um, let's let's talk about who Michael Myers or what what is what is Halloween? What is Halloween? (laughs) Sawan? Sat well. Sawan. You when we get to Halloween three, and w- here's what we're gonna discuss. All right. 
We're going to discuss the original Halloween film from 1978. We're going to talk a little bit about the first sequel from 1981. We're going to talk about the third film in the franchise, Uh Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And then we're going to sort of go over what happens in the middle. And then we're going to talk about the new uh, movie that came out this year. There's too many films. That's just called Halloween again. So... It's no, the Halloween. third. Like, Halloween it's again. Ju- yes, okay. <laughs> I like that Halloween again. It's like 13 again or 17 again. Or any of those That's a body switching movie. Body switching movie. Michael Myers comes so back. So, this as is a the kid. third movie with the main character of Michael Myers called Halloween uh-huh. with no was, other titles. Right. It it's was the remake, third one. Right. So, let's start at the beginning. Michael Myers, not Mike Myers. No. Not the Canadian comedian, I'm putting comedian in some heavy air quotes, but Michael Myers is the protagonist of these, no, he is the antagonist of these yes. films. Um, it starts in 1963. He is a character right. who says nothing uh-huh. ever. Right. That should be noted. So he's like Ryan Gosling in Drive. Yes. Okay. Well. Ryan Gosling does actually speak and drive. He has like eight lines or something? Yeah, but I'm talking about Michael Myers. Okay. As far as I know, and I have, once again, I've not seen every single film in the franchise, right. has never uttered a single word, which is a point of contention in this latest film. Really? So, yes, it is. Michael it, Myers, mm-hmm. at the age of six. Uh, 1963. Is that when it is? Because yes. they fuck up the math in that movie. We'll right. get to it in a second. Right. Clearly, at the well, age of the cr- six, the title says. So I'm going. And in the well, yeah, yeah, but in the in the um, credits, and we'll mm-hmm. get to it in just a second. A child, we see a ch- we see through a child's eyes, mm-hmm. or through as, a child's mask, right? Well, one, first he right. is is just I. It's just his face, and then we see him put on a mask uh-huh. to cover it. Um, the uh, sort of path through his house to his sister's bedroom. His sister, having just had very, very fast brief sex, sex. It's like you, just incredible quickie. I'm pretty sure it's like they went upstairs, and less than 30 seconds later, he right. was coming downstairs, putting his clothes back on. I don't even know how they See, got completely right. undressed in the amount of time. One pump chump. I don't even think we made it once. I, I think that was might it. have been he a just half. Finished somewhere in his pants, somewhere <laughs> undressing, and then decided and to leave in shame. He goes up the stairs after her. His sister's beau has left. Uh-huh. Goes into his sister's room. She is sitting at her dressing table, nude, brushing yes. her hair like you do. No, you don't. Nobody does. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you live alone, uh-huh. maybe. She lives with you a six-year-old brother. Years old, that's what I thought all girls did. No. That's what I really thought, according to the movies. No. No. There is no sitting, brushing your hair. Well, I was very disappointed to find that um, brushing your hair I nude. Was very disappointed to find that out. Uh, and she says, Michael! And then he proceeds to stab her to death. In the bosom. Well, that was in the, the part back. That made me uncomfortable. And then it was boobs. Just, you do get a full frontal shot of this right. young woman on the floor. You don't, however, see her face. Not really. Really. Her face is no, sort of covered into the side. Mm-hmm. So it's just a nude woman's body on the ground. Mm-hmm. Also, her breasts 
did not appear to be real. But maybe she was just a maybe they were just very well endowed young, young lady. I everyone don't in this movie has very perky bosoms. We know this because no one seems to be wearing a bra. Well, in the seventies, I think that was a thing. Right. If you had smaller breasts, and right. even now, if you have smaller breasts, you don't have to wear a bra. It's not a world I know. And then we see Michael Myers standing in front of his house in a clown outfit, mm-hmm. which thankfully is not a theme. Like, because they could right. have gone full clown for this whole thing. And uh, well, it was 1978. That would have been a fairly new theme. And. Yeah. He's not saying anything. He's right. a young child, a young blonde child with a bowl cut mm-hmm. with a knife, a bloody knife in his hand, and the police are there asking him what's going on, not shooting him. So thanks for that. Well, Turns out that was your chance. It's the Midwest, <laughs> And yes, this takes place in Haddonfield, Illinois. Illinois, which is a Faux city. Every, uh, all the locations are fictitious. Faux, yes. So then that's the end of, that's sort of our pre-credits thing. Uh, yeah. And then we get credits, and who's the first person billed? Donald Pleasance, which I scoffed at and was mad about. But then I realized, oh, the second credit is and introducing Jamie Lou Curtis. And I'm like, okay, well, you can't do an introducing credit as the first credit, so fine. And Donald Pleasance is in the movie more than I thought he was. Right. And then we go to 1978. It's now. I mean, it's contemporary to the film's release. Now, in the credits, it says Michael at 6 and Mm -hmm. Michael at 23. I don't know if y'all want to do some quick math with me, but they also say 15 years later. That's not... The, that's not in any way 15 John years Carpenter later. John Carpenter is a writer, director, musician. He is not... Not a mathematician? Exactly. Or an arithmetician? Arithmetician. Sure. Arith. So that just aggravated me from, like, I jump. I was irritated. And, and uh, let's also cover something, because it's something that we discussed when we saw the film. Yes, Donald Pleasance is in the film less than... Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. And he's yeah. a very famous man. Right. I mean, by this I point, just thought he was only yeah. in, like, two scenes, and that is wrong. He oh, is no. in much more of it than that. Yeah, because by this point, he, he was a character. He was the first Blofeld. By this point, he'd done Harold Pinter's plays. Yeah, no, I understand. On the stage. So he's, he's, a big he's deal. selling this movie. Now, mind you, he did not seem to like being in it at all. He had a very tenacious, a, what, tenuous a hold. a little bit phoned He had a very tenuous <laughs> hold on his American accent. At times, he seems oh, to be doing I didn't even... almost a southern actor. Hey, you kids, get your ass away from that. And yeah. It's like, what was he doing? He sounded like a cowboy. That's right. But, yeah, yeah. It's, he was not happy to be here, I think. So we don't need to go necessarily blow by blow through this no. thing. The whole thing takes place on the afternoon and evening of, Hall- of Halloween. Of, in, of 1978. Right. Mm-hmm. Wherein Michael Myers escapes from the... Sanitarium. Yeah, sanitarium, basically. Smith's Grove Sanitarium. It's always Smith's Grove. It's a fake sanitarium, but it's consistent through every one of these films. It's always Smith's Grove. They're very bad at holding on to a Michael Myers. They're terrible at it. We don't know how he got out. We just know that when Donald Pleasance's Dr. Loomis Mm -hmm. drives up, there are uh, inmates roaming, just roaming, 
and mm-hmm. which is actually to me one of the creepy. He gets out of the, the car. Don't do that. Yeah, it is a creepy image to just to see, see people these white, white clad kind of running in the rain because it's raining outside, and it's just it's a dark background, so you can't really yeah. see them. And it reminded me of the image that really creeped me out in Suspiria with the woman running in a white gown along the side of a. Uh, road at night. Okay. It just, it works for some reason. Yeah, no. And, and it's, because it also looks like a ghost. Yeah, I guess. Because you're only kind of seeing the outline of a person form. Yeah. In a place where there shouldn't be an outline of a person form. Um, so we never know what happens in there. And then Loomis sort of tracks Michael Myers um, and ends up tracking him back to Haddonfield. At, at one point we see that he has killed um a like a like a tow truck driver right, or a repairman and that's where there. he gets his onesie mm-hmm. his, <laughs> his grown well, man onesie call that a onesie definitely a onesie uh and he ha- breaks into the hardware store at in Haddonfield and steals what do we hear some halloween masks a couple of halloween right. masks a rope a ro- some rope and a knife. Some uh, knife or a knife or? No, I don't even think it's a knife. I think it's a hammer. Okay. Because I think he gets a knife from his first victim, and then he sets about killing teens who have had sex, basically. or are likely to have sex on their way to have sex. Yes. So, uh, so that's what's happening with him. Mm-hmm. What's happening with our heroine, Ms. Laurie Strode, played by the Inevitable. That's not a word. What's the word I'm looking for? That's a good word. Oh, okay. Jamie Lee Curtis. This is her first movie, so way to go. And she is Lori. She is a nerd with terrible friends. (laughs) We see her. She's going to be babysitting this evening. We see her with two of her friends. Everyone talks very badly to each other. Well, they're all sort of, and, and you'll forgive me for using this word in this context, they're all kind of bitchy to yeah, her. they are. She is, but she's right. bitchy to them, too. Right, but she's a sweetheart. There's not a, she, there's a feeling. She's not being mean. The other two yeah, the, feel mean. The two mean. feel there's a mean-spiritedness to the other two girls. Yeah. There seems to be a competition about getting laid. Yes. There's there a blonde to, and a brunette. Mm-hmm. The brunette is portrayed to be a, a big old hoe, right? And the blonde is portrayed not to necessarily be a big old hoe. But who do we see have sex? The blonde. So you know. Well, I. I what, but everybody wants right. to use their babysitting houses, right, exactly. to get laid. It's weird. And Except gross. for Lori, who Lori seems to be. Lori just wants to watch some horror movies and put this really kid to bed. Does like care about her kids. She so. does. You know the um, I'm I'm trying to remember I'm, I'm not sure that the names of Tommy the other girls matter all that much um, Linda and Annie I guess yeah um, spoiler alert <clears throat> they both die they don't also their intended bows deceased <laughs> well and he really likes here's Michael Myers move with a dude I'm gonna lift you up and I'm gonna shove a knife through you so hard. That you are embedded into the drywall. We, we call this the butterfly position because it's essentially it pinning, is like them, to pinning them to a wall. He uh, does it in the first movie, maybe he had, and they bring it back for the the current. Maybe he version. had a butterfly connection a collection as a little boy, or who was ten or six or whatever he was. Um, he was either six or eight. Eight. Oh, that's right. Okay. 
See, that's how many years. That's how math works. My math is. He might worse. have been six, seven. Right. But he. Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm kidding. Or he was twenty-one well, so in I, the in this epi- in this movie, not twenty-three. How we relate to Laurie, or why we think she's a good person, is not because she's not having sex. Right. It's because she really does care about the kids. Yes. You know, um, I think Annie is the worst at taking care of her kid. Yeah. Because she just abandons the kid for large stretches of the story. Annie is the brunette, right? I, I believe Annie is the brunette. Right? Annie. Yes, so she spills something on herself at one point, ends up taking her pants off. Mm-hmm. So then she's wearing this little robe that this child brings her. And then they go out, she goes out to the laundry, which is in a, like a shed behind the house, mm-hmm. and locks herself in there and then has to climb out while screaming her child's name. I think her name was Lindsay or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Lindsay comes out and finally frees her and is like, You locked yourself in. <laughs> And she's like, I know. She has to be rescued by a child. But there's a lot of her hanging through a window butt first or whatever. And I'm just like, really? Wait. Oh, okay. And. Now, I have questions for you about that. How do you feel about the um, the way, did you feel that women were particularly exploited in this film, the way that they were in later iterations of this They're kind of movie? Ex- I This opens that door. Right? right? This is like the first Because the opening image we see is bare breasts covered in blood. Yes. And After just having had what had to be terrible sex. Right. So maybe it's punishing people who are going to have bad sex. Um, although the couple later on seems to, they claim they're enjoying it, but it, yeah. Um, the, I felt like, aside from the credit scenes, it was actually kind of restrained. Because I remember seeing a well, lot of I these mean, kind of things when I was younger. And yeah. A lot more. That's because it's made by John Carpenter. And it's produced by Deborah Hill. It's produced by a woman. One okay. Of the I, so. These are, it's not good, the portrayal of women. Right. But it's not as trashy as other filmmakers right. would make it. Yeah. I think that's where I fall on it. Um, it's not good I to think tell of, teens, fucking you'll die. Like, that's but, not. I'm mean, thinking of, like, the beginning of Carrie. Where we have a slow motion tracking shot through a girl's shower well, room. Well, Brian De Palma is a perv. Brian De Palma is a, a weirdo. <laughs> but that scene, just like, even though the film, the central character is a girl, this is all about her relationship with the world and becoming a young woman, um, it just felt like, oh my God, I'm watching a soft porn film. Well, not to mention the fact right. that we know that he invited people to right. set that day to check, check out, out the, the naked, girls, naked girls. Which is so, just ew. gross. But Brian De Palma? Please don't. Be Ew. better. Be best. Just be, be, be best. Be best. <laughs> so, back to the thing. So, Tommy, Lori's uh-huh. charge, is particularly afraid of the boogeyman. He's been taunted at, by kids at school that mm-hmm. the, the boogeyman exists, and he is nervous about it. And he keeps seeing this large man... In coveralls. In coveralls. And, and a mask. And it's... Now we got to talk about the mask. Right. The mask is a William Shatner mask. Right. Why would you make a full face William Shatner mask? Anyways, it was it covered in was white paint, wild. right? right. Like they covered in white paint. Yeah. They messed with the hair, and they actually made the eye holes much bigger. Bigger. Okay. Uh. So. Yeah. It's so this was a very small budget film. People oh yeah. Forget no. that it was For sure. tiny, and John Carpenter was I think thirty years old at the time. He was very young. 
He had done a couple of professional films and student work before that, and some stuff for television. This film was so low budget, as I was sharing with you. Three hundred to three hundred twenty-five thousand right. dollar budget. What did it make? Seventy million. Pow, but, motherfuckers! <laughs> the film was so low budget. They, it was shot. I think in summer they didn't have fall leaves right. when they were shooting, so they had a box, a cardboard box, full of like, like Michael's leaves. Right, leaves that you get at a craft store, and they. You constantly see people walking into them because they're just throwing handfuls at the actors. And they would scrape them up with a rake, put them back in the box, and take them to the next scene. That's how low budget this film was. Yeah. So Tommy sees, mm-hmm. like, Michael Myers ends up killing Annie and bringing her, carrying her body inside the house of the neighbor. Mm-hmm. Tommy sees that and says, it's a boogeyman, it's a boogeyman, it's a boogeyman. Lori's trying to call Annie, trying to call... What was her other friend's name? Um, the blonde friend. Linda. Lin- okay, Linda. Linda, Van- Linda Vanderklok? Can't, can't get a hold of any of them, and uh-huh. that is because when Michael Myers enters that house, which uh-huh. is where Linda has brought her boyfriend over to have sex, so they get there to an empty house they can just go inside of, Yeah. Uh, where they're expecting their friend to be babysitting another child. They find no one, and they're like, Cool, let's go fuck, which... Yeah, everyone's running upstairs for a quickie. I now presume that any time I leave my house for more than 20 minutes, a teenager has come in and had sex in my bed and then left. That explains a great deal to me, actually. happening with these kids? I've often suspected it. So then, you know, Annie's Annie's body is brought in... Mm -hmm. Uh, the couple finishes, and he goes to get they actually a get beer, to finish, right. I think, and he is killed, pinned uh-huh. to the wall, and then Linda is killed. So we've got four deaths at this point, right? Yes. Um, and two dogs. Oh, and he's killed one other person. He's killed the driver, the tow truck driver. Yes. Um, and he's killed the girls, and he's killed two dogs. That was the body count that I kept. I don't know why. And he we... killed the boy, R- the the boyfriend. Right, the boyfriend. I thought we ended up with five, but um, Lori has now collected Annie's charge because mm-hmm. Annie was gonna go have sex with her boyfriend as well. Right. Um. So she's got two kids: one that lives in the house that they're in, and one that doesn't. And she's try just all she wants to do is know when Lindsay needs to go to bed. Like that's right. that's Lori's main thrust. Like you're doing what you're gonna do. I hope Lori gets paid for this babysitting gig that she is doing for Annie. And then all she wants to know is when does Lindsay need to go to bed? And Tommy keeps saying, The boogeyman's there, the boogeyman's there, the boogeyman's there. And then it turns out, y'all, the boogeyman, the boogeyman is, is there. And we have see Loomis at the same time. He's called Haddonfield's police and said, yo, this dude's coming. <laughs> Be ready. And then he gets to Haddonfield and they have not gotten ready. We have seen the Michael Myers drive by a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So we know he can drive. Which is, you were like, I was puzzled it. by it. How, how does he know? How and does I'm he like, know how to drive? He was taken in at... Six or eight. All right. <laughs> He's been in an asylum this entire time, mm-hmm. yet he knows how to drive a car. It's not hard. That's how. Okay. Honestly, he stole a car and then drove through a very rural area 
Mm-hmm. It wouldn't take more than ten minutes to figure out. Then it's it's basic. To our audience, I don't drive. Yes, so let me roll this. I'm, I'm non-driver. Yes, concerned <laughs> now that maybe what I need to do is find a, a, a rural road somewhere mm-hmm. and learn how to drive. Probably between a sanitarium and a main. Yes, because that's apparently city. how you learn. Uh, and then Michael Myers gets into the house with Tommy mm-hmm. and Lindsay and Lori. And Lori fights him off. And Loomis ends up there, and the police end up there. There's a lot of converging. Right. And finally, what ends up happening is Lori fights him off, saves her charges. Loomis ends up shooting Michael Myers in the chest, and he goes over the balcony. Then when you look to see his body, it has poofed out of existence. The end. <laughs> That's really how the the movie ends, and they do it, you know, as very clearly as a way to have a sequel. Um, Lori's alive, but all of her friends are dead, and but at least her charges are alive. Yes. So then, let's talk briefly about the sequel. The sequel was released three years later. That uh-huh. all of these movies come out right. in October. They release them for Halloween because mm-hmm. they know what the fuck they're doing. Right. Uh, and the movie takes place later that same night in yeah. the hospital. It's a direct sequel. It happened minutes after. Minutes after. Uh, which I very much like. The body count is significantly higher. Because mm-hmm. in this one, I think it's five Yeah. that we're aware of. And two dogs. That's fine. Uh, and there might be more dogs. You don't know. Um, but it's, not, it's funny. Like, okay... If you kill a dog in the film, why do they bring you, like, why does he murder his second dog? It's almost as if there was something that the director was working on. Make at. sure he's, we know he's real bad. Because he eats the dog. And we have to say, Loomis has worked, is his doctor. <laughs> right, I know. Really okay, Loomis is a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. a man with a degree in human psychology and the first thing that we hear him say about Michael Myers is, he's pure evil and he needs to die. <laughs> like, now, god damn. I find it funny that thinking that... From not ever having mm-hmm. spoken with Michael Myers right. because he has never said anything. And they keep saying he can talk, he just chooses not to. They will hear that through the whole thing. Uh-huh. How the fuck do you know that? He's just because he has vocal cords. They say he can talk, he chooses not to, and at no point does he talk Remember, to anyone ever. This is a script that was written in 10 days yeah. by two young people. And Ooh. then there were, it was so small and so spare that the producers began adding lines. Most of Donald Pleasance's lines were added after. Yeah. Because he was complaining, I have nothing to do except wander around in the dark. Um, and he was You're doing like, this. how do you have a gun, sir? Right. You're a well, psychiatrist. He's doing this because. Peter Cushing turned the part down, which I find very funny. That would have been interesting. A real Ben Helsing situation. Yeah, he, yes, because Peter Cushing's <laughs> job is to kill monsters. Yes. Um, but, uh, and Donald Pleasant did it because his daughter enjoyed John Carpenter's other movie, Assault on Precinct 13. So it was, and then he got himself into this, and then he's, you know, he's wandering around in the middle of the night, sort of trying on different accents while he's hunting Michael Myers. Um, there's... There's a lot that doesn't make sense about this movie. No. Um, I think it gets kind of rectified in the second film. Donald Pleasant's Dr. Loomis, that character, gets a bigger part. He does 
some really heroic things. Yes. It's, um, it is. And the thing is, like, Michael Myers is a genuinely creepy. Right. There is something about the not speaking. And we should say, you know, after he kills what Bob, who's Linda's mm-hmm. boyfriend, right. he goes up to the room where Linda is waiting for her beer, wearing a sheet over his yes. himself. And so she assumes it's her boyfriend fucking with her. Mm-hmm. It's not. And those <laughs> moments, there's a couple of that moment, too, also works for me because it really does seem, there's a moment when he pins, is it Bob or what's his name? Bob. Pins him to the wall. Yeah. And then he just sort of stands there looking at him, yeah. cocking his head to and one side. And he cocks his head to one side and it's like, ooh, because it's very much like what an animal uh, would do an animal or a child, or a, a child. very small and child so would do. That second scene where he comes back with a sheet over his head and the glasses looks. That's right. He has taken Bob's glasses right. off of Bob's corpse and put them over <laughs> his sheet. Right. That scene is so creepy upsetting. and it works because... <laughs> You remember that he shut off sometime when he was eight, six or eight years old. Yeah. And so he's like this immensely powerful thing that possibly has the mentality of a child. Yeah, and that's the other thing is in most of the credits, he's uh, not credited as Michael Myers. He's credited as the shape, yeah. which I kind of like, uh-huh. even though in every movie they're talking about Michael Myers because mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have right. to be him at a certain point. It's just yeah. this hulking monstrosity of that is just lacking humanity. Yes. Uh, and those two scenes that we mentioned, those murders, give a sense of that. Like, yeah. This is his idea of play. He's going to dress up in a sheet and put the glasses on. And and then he winds up killing her because that's he what he does. He strangles her with right. a phone cord. That's the other thing. He doesn't only stab. Right. He will, he's versatile. He's, he's very strong. Uh-huh. So there are a lot of fucked up necks. Right. Like there's a lot of just breaking of the neck, outright breaking of mm-hmm. the neck, um, strangulation, but also multiple stab wounds. Mm-hmm. So he is, yeah, he is a multi-purpose Right. He's like killer. the Swiss army knife of serial killers. And, yeah, in the Although new one... Although he does have weird little motifs, like bringing his sister's headstone and putting it... Yeah, know, he'll go dig up mm-hmm. Ju- Judith Meyer's headstone and just put it in a weird place or like stuffing bodies inside of closets and things like he that does, so that they like weird. when you open the closet the body like hangs down from the right. i don't even understand how he well he uh, it's obviously his leg over the 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 rod that held up the, the yeah but like how do you fold a body like that like well, how strong do you, you actually pin have a to person be? to a wall you're that i mean strong. i guess that's but, true I with mean, just the butcher knife right. like, that butcher knife is very it's, it's strong really good. as well. That's what they used like, to... Like, can I get a brand right. on that? Because, uh... <laughs> it's one of those expensive Japanese models that, you know... Not again, Sue? That, that Bobby Flay used. Uh, we don't need to talk about Bobby Flay. No, You're we starting don't. some we don't trash online with Bobby Flay anyways. So, the second movie, like you said, direct sequel, it mm-hmm. takes place that same night wherein Lori is at the hospital. They, like... Do they tie her they down? Her. They restrain her because she's fucking rightly hysterical um and then michael myers goes to the hospital and then kills all the people at the hospital but she gets away loomis comes and saves her although he is i believe severely wounded yeah this is um presumably mm -hmm. fatally wounded but every everything gets retconned in all of these movies um at, oh, but they burn him alive. Right. That's what it is. They, they're they in a OR suite. 
they lure him there. Mm-hmm. They've released the ga- the various gases, oxygen and yeah. stuff, into the room, and Loomis sends Laurie away and basically ignites the whole the place with both him and Michael Myers in the room. And I enjoyed. I saw that film not too long ago. I really enjoyed it. For well, I mean, it's a really kind of movie. Yes, but I enjoyed it because I felt like it was. Uh, it reminded me in some ways. It took a lot of uh, tips from Hitchcock. Rear window, you know, Jimmy Stewart with mm-hmm. bo- with a broken leg, and it is. It does almost feel like a right. real time situation, yes, it does. Um, you know, where a person's utterly helpless, and you know that what's coming for them would roll them, steamroll over them on their best day, and they're them, not at their they're best. Not at their best so yeah. she's completely helpless, and it's like Loomis is not at his best. So everyone's sort of handicapped dealing with somebody who's a monster, right? So that actually that film. It's a great sequel to that. It, it worked really well as two pieces together. Yeah. So then in 1982... Was it right? It was just the next year. Okay. In 1982, Halloween 3 Season of the Witches released. And this movie was a flop for one reason. Everybody thought Michael Myers was going to be in it. Michael Myers is not in it. Laurie Strode is not in it. Haddonfield is not a place in it. The, the, it's fundamentally what they wanted to do was mm-hmm. we've told the Michael Myers story. Yes. Let's now do an anthology and we'll do a Halloween film, a horror film every year. Which actually is a neat idea. I like it. It is a neat idea. And it's, it's the, the idea was John Carpenter's. Right. It's the only way he would come back and do more mm-hmm. Halloween movies was if it wasn't Michael Myers. He didn't want to do 40 right. serial killer movies with the same guy dying multiple ways and killing multiple ways. So this movie... <laughs> now, I'm going to... We'd never seen it before. Right, Neither I've of us had seen it. seen it before. We watched it this week. One of us liked it more than the other well, one. Well, I'm going to introduce an idea to you very briefly. All right. Which is we have to discuss why this movie was disappointing to me. Okay. Was Nigel it because Michael Myers was Neal. it? Oh, okay. I don't know Nigel anything Neal about it. Nigel Neal is one of the great British writers, screenplay writers, science fiction writers. In the 1950s, he created a character called Quatermass, and that oh, was okay. the father of British science fiction. He wrote some wonderfully scary stuff. Of the, you know, um, He did three, four sequels to Quatermass. He did The Stone Tape, which actually is now a theory in parapsychology. Every time you hear someone refer to the idea that ghosts are actually impressions left behind on um, on the stones of the buildings of the property. That actually was invented by Nigel Neal for one of his science fiction plays. I.e. it's totally fake and made up. But it's... Go it's, ahead. No, he made the theory and now it's actually a theory in parapsychology. Yeah, but he did a then lot parapsychology of... needs to stop it because that's how fucking Scientology started. We well, need to not do that. He didn't take it seriously. This was something he made up for the purpose of I'm talking to parapsychologists okay. now. I'm not talking to him. Anyhow. He can so make up whatever the fuck he wants for he his invented fiction. invented reality TV with a movie, with a television program called The Year of the Sex Olympics. What uh, a terrible title. Well, that was... I'm out. That was the gist of it, is that people spend their time just sort of watching other people do things on television. And he, one of the characters there, comes up with the idea of why don't we just send everyone to an island and have them try to survive and watch them with cameras. No, this was after the Sex Olympics was just... Oh, okay. ...was uh, the introduction of the show. This is like, we're going so far afield. I know, but the point that I'm trying to make is this guy revolutionized television and science fiction on television. So when you take one of his scripts and go, it's not commercial enough, 
and you add all this weird stuff to it. Well, yeah. So that they none just, of like, what we watched mm-hmm. was his movie. Well, the only thing apparently he doesn't came, even have a written by no, credit. He, he took his name out of it. The only thing that was a part of his, and that it's obvious for anybody who knows his work, is the idea of stealing a monolith and using the trapped psychic energy to do things. Something. Right. And that was very much the kind of thing that he would write because he loved fusing science fiction with horror. Yeah, I I this, think that you came at this with right. a, a weird... I, I came at it with knowing right. that people underestimate it and a lot of people actually no. really like it. And As I was a, like, okay, well, let me check it out. As a film by itself, it's no. It's not bad. It's not. It's and problematic as fuck, well, but it it's not bad. It, The problem that I have with it is that it doesn't make any sense. Because at the very end of the film, no, it, I mean, I'm sitting there going, what, what, was it, what was he trying to do? He was trying to kill everyone. Right, okay. So He's basically trying to cause uh, Armageddon of some sort. To, to start with the film, it takes place in, this is California now, right? It is California Northern because California. They, they go to... What is it, Santa Mira? Santa Mira, which was great. I thought that was the clever. There were a lot of very cute sort of in things. So okay, so we start with a a doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, we start with a man being chased and right into a hospital. He's yeah, uh but let's okay. Start with the doctor. Fine. We start. Our main character is a doctor, Doctor. who is a fifty-some-year-old man divorced, um, with children that he. Never sees apparently, right. uh, and, and a, stunning sexual prowess as, as it turns ugh, out. So gross. So his <laughs> name is Dan Chalice, Dan and Chalice. he has a patient at the hospital who is murdered. Well, at the hospital, this patient had come in, and um, he was sort of raving, and they were like, "You need to calm down." I think they probably pumped him full of some antipsychotics. And while he was like resting, uh-huh. he is murdered by horribly a bot. Horribly it's murdered. Ro- I mean, of all of ways to murder a person, actually, yeah, I've never out their eyes. They into he, their brain. This, car- this <laughs> right. thing put his thumb and index finger, one in each eye, shoved down, grabbed the bridge of the nose, and pulled up. Right. I've n- that's heinous. I've never Well, you can only do that if you're a robot. But You have to be very strong. Right. And then he probably... The, the murderer then mm. probably goes out to, the ve- to his vehicle uh-huh. and lights himself on fire. With gasoline. Explosion. And then he, he explodes. Because now we have bigger budgets, so we can Kaboom. afford explosions. Uh, and... The doctor is uh, questioned then by police, but he doesn't know what's going on. And then he is questioned by the lovely and elfin daughter of the patient who was murdered. Also, oh, in the background, every three and a half minutes, we see a commercial. You love it. No. It eight more days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Eight more days to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. <laughs> so that's how far out we start. We start eight days to Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a countdown in song form. We hear that 
roughly 20 times? I don't know. It just, I find myself like humming that to my, now well, it's, while I'm at work. It's, it's, it's London Bridges. It's the London Bridges song. The London Bridge is. Is falling down mm-hmm. my fair lady. So that's the the tune that we're we're getting, but however more days to Halloween. And it's a an advertisement <laughs> for three styles of Halloween mask. A skull, a witch, and a jack-o'-lantern. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now Silver Shamrock is a the product of a former toy maker who's played by Well Silver Shamrock is the company. Colonel Cochran, right? And it's the company he runs. Yes, his name is Conal. Conal Cochran. Cochran. And he's played by Daniel Hurley. 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 You said that their Irish accents were out of hand, and I didn't. I, that, I was not hearing that. I'm, so. I'm an older person. I like Daniel Hurley. He was a wonderful character actor. He he was Robinson Crusoe in the first film on that that I ever saw the first adaptation. Um, oh, also we should notice note that one of the things that we see that is ad-breaked by yeah. this Silver Shamrock commercial is the news, wherein we find out that a an entire hinge from Stonehenge right. is missing. Right. Just poofed out now, of existence. My guess, Where did it go? <laughs> my guess is that this made much more sense in whatever original version of the script, because as you're watching it, you're aware... Because I write... That is su- it's, that it's, it's such like, a thrown-away thing. Right. It's literally like, here's... Ten minutes in, a news thing about right. it's weird. We don't know where Stonehenge went, or this one or rock from Stonehenge. Which was and then kind of at it. the very end, oh, we've got Stonehenge up in here, right. up in here, and the line, you wouldn't believe what it took to get here. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're never gonna know how he fucking but, stole a rock from Stonehenge. But to me, one of the funnier bits was the fact that the great menace to the world. Are the Irish, you know, they're out to get you. The and IRA I, will blow your no, fucking no, ass up. The IRA, this is a toy maker, and he lives in a town where the it's population... It's the Lucky Charms dude. Right, and he really does. Dan O'Hurley is having a lot of fun doing this, obviously. Why do you He's, not think that the... I, I'm perfectly fine no, with white people being the devil no, in this not movie. That, what I mean is just that they're they're... It's I not it. all Irish people. No, it's this no. one dude. And I'm, I'm well because also the town is heavily Irish, so that you run into people with the because you know, he right he brought, brought a bunch of them Irish in to, because that's the thing to end so, the world. The doctor and the daughter. The daughter. The daughter knows that he went. Her father before mm-hmm. being murdered. Martyred. Martyred. He, she's not Irish, so I don't know why you did that. <laughs> I just I went right. to the Silver Shamrock facility to uh, pick up some masks because he runs a st- toy store or whatever. And so she and the doctor go to Saint Amira, which, mm-hmm. like you said, is a it's a science fiction fictional place. It's almost right. like Eldritch or something. Right. It's like. It started in one thing and then is used started, in other things. And it's funny because when, when she said Santa Mira, I kind of lost it because I'm like, wait, Santa Mira from Invasion of the Body Snatchers? That's correct. And then you looked it up and mm-hmm. found out that Santa Mira is not just from there. That was the first film I saw it, but from everything from Invasion of the Body Snatchers to Sharknado 3 or something. Uh, 3, 4, and 5, I believe. Oh, are set in Santa Mira. So it's uh, yeah. yeah, or not just set there, but take yeah. There yeah. is it's when you need a beach town in Northern California. It's it's 
where the birds would have taken place right. if Alfred Hitchcock gave a fuck about fictional places. Right. Um, it, it's that, that's where it is. You know what I mean? It it's, is it's in a, Bodega Bay. It is that location. Uh, we've been there. <laughs> so, right. uh, so they go, they check in at a motel. Where do you want to sleep? And rather, and they can't go over to the the factory. They're mm-hmm. not accepting people anymore. Mm-hmm. They're closed for the day or whatever, so they have to wait till the next day. And then he makes no. I mean, he's like, oh, I could go sleep in the car. Maybe I should get another. He says, maybe I should get another room. And she goes, that would look suspicious. I, I don't under, I don't understand that particular logic. Uh and then he goes, okay, well, maybe I could sleep in the car. It'd be better than sleeping on this floor. And she goes, I don't know what she said. And then he where says something. Sleep, right? And then she says, well, where do you want to sleep? And then they're making out and having sex. And I'm like, ew, yeah, here's, ew. Here's, okay, her dad just died. Right. Also, he is probably as old as her dad. So she's working some shit out. <laughs> Tom Atkins, I like him as an actor. He is. He looks like a pug. He always, every time we saw him, he looks like a boxer we or a football player, right? He is portrayed. His... No, I'm not disparaging. Okay. But what I'm saying is that he is portrayed as a cross between Chris Hemsworth and Sean Connery. Oh yeah, because this women is are the constantly most after him all the hottest time. Hottest dude that ever has and been and ever was. And I'm just like, you know, women are literally falling at his feet. His nurse is grabbing his ass. No, uh, other way around. Well, but she grabs his too. I think. Well, I I don't. But everyone's okay with it. He's just yeah. like this continuous womanizer all throughout the film, and you're looking it's at him. It's gross. What's the thing? And gross. It looks really gross in this context because, like you said, her dad just died. She's a young actress. She looks, like you said, very elfin, kind of wayfish. So it looks like he's, you know, like they're about 30 years apart. Here's what should have happened. Right. If she is feeling the way that she is feeling, right. and... It's clearly a cry for help, right? He's a physician. He should be like, I'm flattered, but you need to work through your well, like, see, issues with your dad having just passed. He's not it would do be that. rude and inappropriate for me to take advantage of you in your grieving state. Because he is but constantly... But nah, he's going to fuck it. He's gonna. He at one point there's a woman who works at uh, the lab at his hospital. He's calling in favors, flirting with her constantly, and oh, she's yeah. just trying to you know get hooked up with him again. And again, I watch him going. I I don't. I don't know. He doesn't. I can't. Yeah, but anyhow, it's the fact that he's the star of the movie. And it, it's that, written I got into the script that everyone's laying at his feet. But, now the, the woman. Uh, well, let's talk about her for a second. The woman at the lab is looking for people pieces from the car explosion but she doesn't find any people pieces she only finds like clockwork Mm -hmm. because it's not a people it's not a people it's not a people it's not so the next day they the they get into the um the factory they're welcomed in uh sort of as friends of the greatest salesman that ever was apparently he and his kid and his wife are there it's a very Willy His Wonka. His wife is exp- wearing a very bizarre outfit. Experience. Well, she's like, wearing two very bizarre outfits. Yeah. Um, so they go through and see how the masks are made. Mm-hmm. The kid gets one. He, he says, can I have this one? And they say, no, it hasn't been through final processing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
take this one instead. Right. And then there's this big room that says final processing over the top. It's, yeah. And no one's allowed to go in there. Now, oh, we should say, the night before... Mm-hmm. I was wondering if we were to get to that. There was another woman who had checked into the same motel who was also um, a toy salesperson. She's there to pick up her order, and she's frustrated because since they went big time, it was hard for small business owners to really get any any traction with this company. But she was there to get her... Silver shimmer. Yeah, get her uh, order filled. And she picks up this little disc that has been implanted in the backs of all of these. Yeah, that's what the final processing seems to involve, a plastic yeah. disc that is clipped to the back, which to me seems like it would be really uncomfortable yeah, if you're no, wearing and it, But it looks like mm-hmm. um, like just a tag, right. but it's, you know, it's pretty substantial. It's got some... Uh, Circuitry. looks like microchip. Yeah. And she's poking at the microchips and then a big beam of laser... Rips her fucking face apart like it's and then graphic. What right, happens film, to her? Uh, we should uh, warn people about that. It's much more graphic than the first yeah. Halloween film is. It's like there's a lot of disfiguring people. Yeah, and what it happens in that case, which is this weird touch that keeps happening in the film, her face comes to pieces, and then an enormous Jerusalem cricket crawls out of her mouth. Yeah, why? Where did that come from? And this keeps happening in the film. Yeah, that's the thing. So we end up, they end up sneaking back in. The couple. They're caught. Mm-hmm. And they're basically given a demonstration. They're, they're basically, we get the, what did you call it? When the villain tells this story. The talking villain. Talking villain. Mm-hmm. Where it's, let me tell you what my plan is. So they're tied up and they are shown, oh, look, this is Stonehenge. Right. You would imagine what it took to get her here. That's all we know. That's so yeah. sad. <laughs> and then they go on. It's a real, you're lucky nobody got hurt. Right. Well, there's there also, you become the realization that everyone in the room is a robot. He That's is right. control center. So, and he'd gotten a call um, from that uh-huh woman who was forensically looking for things and she finally comes to the realization i don't think there was a people mm-hmm. i think there was a robot of some sort but before she's able to share those findings another robot comes and kills and her I, horribly. I appreciate the way that she died because it was concealed by an object on her desk yeah and i think that was the there's so much sort of like head ripping off there is a lot of stuff just, in here i needed that break from yeah. seeing people mutilated but she is horribly murdered uh, and yes. then, so the 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 doctor and his young girlfriend is are tied up, and after because they've also found her father's car, so mm-hmm. they know that he was right. here, um, and they watch as the salesman and his family are put into a little room, and the TV is playing. And then we see the jingle again, but it's not the same. It's like, because the whole thing with the jingle is at nine o'clock, gather around, everybody with your masks, gather around, and there's going to be a drawing. There's going to be a, a some sort of prize situation. I said in England, drawing. A drawing. And so the kid has his mask and goes up to the TV and is watching this thing with the music playing uh, 
Halloween is here. I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's the same, mm -hmm. you know, jingle. And then we see like a jack-o'-lantern, like a pulsing jack-o'-lantern. Right. And then we don't see what happens inside the mask, but it appears that the child's head disintegrates and then all the snakes and spiders and Jerusalem crickets come out. Which, uh, that's what I don't get. So the, the And then the parents both die, but I don't know why. <laughs> they just, they turn your head into... Mush. Assorted bugs. Creeps. And... Dan O'Hurley, his character Connell, when he's explaining why he's doing this, it's almost as if he just says, well, it's a Halloween prank to kill off, you know... All, all the of the children and their right. families. Um, yeah, so the, the idea is that weird. this is going to kill all these kids uh -huh. and whoever happens to be in the same room as them. Right. And they're killed by, like, it almost looks like sound waves or something. Right. It's, it's energy come and it feeds... Uh, I guess the only thing that I can see that connected it and again, where I see Nigel Neal's kind of weird gothic science fiction, is that somehow the human sacrifice, because this goes back to Samhain. Right, yes. We will say they do pronounce Samhain correctly. That's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but it's pronounced S-O-W-E-N, just for everyone to know. That is the pagan ritual that takes place on Halloween, Samhain. So when... I braced myself when I knew he was going to say it. I was like... <laughs> but he's Dan O'Hurley, he's going to know how to say it. <laughs> but, but it's possible right. he might have known that and the director might have been Which like, what the too. fuck are you saying? But say it, what I, I told you point, to say. Does it look like anybody stopped Nobody's directing anybody. anything in this nope. movie? Mm -mm. He doesn't... Well, anyhow, so this is where... And again, I'll, I'll walk you through the part that is confusing me. He has created a bunch of robots because he says they're more obedient than people. Right, because when people hear that you're just going to kill children, they might have something to right. say about it. And then he's invented a mask that's simply, as a Halloween prank, going to turn people's heads into bugs. Hilarious. And then it's somehow going to power up his monolith. No. The monolith is what's doing it. Like, they're yeah, well, scraping of off the monolith and putting it inside. Tag. That's the final process. Right. It's unclear. All of this is unclear. We're making it, it up. It, it, they're making it. I, I, I could have done better than this. And so there's a chase scene where the doctor and his girlfriend go running up on catwalks, and Connell seems to be incredibly disinterested in what they're doing up there. Well, He's because just, as long as uh, these commercials run... right. All these kids are going to die. He doesn't yeah, really give a fuck. He's kind of mugging, you know, the actor. is He's sort of mugging. He's not really taking this scene seriously. Like, I'm, I'm done. This is all the, I was willing to invest in this film. Yep. I was here for one day. And right. That eight hours is coming to a close, <laughs> right. motherfucker. No. Which, and so uh -huh. they get out. Mm -hmm. The doctor calls, I don't know who, the FCC? I don't know who the fuck yes, he's calling. Yes, I'm not sure who he's calling to, to stop the... Um... And it's also unclear about time zones, because mm -hmm. they're saying 9 o'clock, and then they're showing people across the country at 9. Right. But it would happen in the East Coast first, and all of these... And so you're seeing the, the, this ad finally come up on, on TVs, and... Uh, he's begging them to take it off the air, take it off this channel, and then it gets pulled from the channel, and then take it off the next channel, and then but they, they so they take it off two channels, but not the third channel, mm -hmm. and everybody who's watching that third channel apparently dies. That like, well, there's <laughs> a there's an attempt to the end of the original um, invasion of the body snatchers ends with a man running across the freeway telling you they're coming for you, and it was a really effective ending. 
they were going for that. However, the setup is so ridiculous. He's that just it screaming just into work. a payphone. Right. Everything is take it off. Take it off. Don't right. let don't let it air. Don't let it air. But then it airs, and then credits. I have a neat little piece of trivia. That Ooh, can, fun! Let's do it. Cut out if you like later. Okay, so the shape in um, Halloween was played by Nick Castle. Yes. He was paid $25 a day to do this. Just In the original. In the original film. Yeah. Nick Castle went on to become a director in his own right. Yes. He directed The Boy Who Could Fly. Yes. Which is a lovely... Y'all, if you haven't seen movie. The Boy Who Could Fly, watch The Boy Who Could Fly. Right. Uh, many a Sunday morning, me bawling, bawling my eyes out as a tiny baby yeah. to The Boy Who Could Fly. Here's an interesting <laughs> bit. Nick Castle also directed The Last Starfighter. Uh, in which a boy uh, is tested by his video game for his ability to enter a sort of a Starfleet Academy and save the world. That's a real Ender's Game situation. Go his, ahead. Uh, his best friend, companion, and mentor in this movie is a creature called a Grig, played by Dan O'Hurley, as a reptile from outer space with a faintly Irish accent. Oh, that's funny. That's <laughs> and cute. it's cute. I wonder about the relationship. I'm sure they all know. They, they all know each other. Right. But the idea that they, yeah, I used to be, you know... So that is Part of the franchise too. Season of the Witch, which okay. has nothing to do with anything, but gets that Halloween name and gets those orange on black Halloween titles, which is like my favorite thing. And the fact that the new movie had that I was so happy about. And then that's the end of the and Halloween franchise. The end. No, it's not. It's no, super it not. It goes on forever and ever and ever. Um, we've got. The next three movies kill off Jamie Lee Curtis's character, and we follow her daughter, whose name is Jamie. <laughs> Ironic. Um, I think somebody thought that was really clever. And I'm Loomis sure is there. Did. Donald Pleasance, who emoliated himself in that last movie, he's back, yo. Because if Michael Myers didn't die in that fire, apparently neither did he. Uh, so that's four, five, and six. Yeah. So then Halloween H2O 20 years later comes out and they retcon those three movies because who's in it? Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. And she is also in the next one, Halloween yeah. Resurrection, 2002's Halloween Resurrection, uh, where she then dies. I believe, but also Mike Mike Myers dies in all of these movies. In 4, 5, 6, H2O, and Resurrection, he dies in all of them and then is resurrected or is escapes again from that same <laughs> sanitarium. We haven't seen them. Mm. I've seen H2O, but mm. Mm. then, so then that brings us to eight movies between 1978 and 2002. Yeah. Seven of which have Michael Myers in them. Then Rob Zombie took the franchise. These you don't enjoy, but I like very much. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I like Rob Zombie's... It's, it's, I like his stuff. His sense of aesthetics gets to me, though. Everybody's so dirty. It's a lot of uh, white people with dreads. You know that they don't smell good. Well, I think what I... Get is it's like they all look like carnies or roadies, mm -hmm. and they're all sort of grungy, including Doctor Loomis, who's played by um, oh good lord, his name just escapes me right now. I actually don't remember. He is played by Alex 
from Clockwork Orange. Uh, oh, McDowell. McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. And still, with hair in his face, I'm supposed to buy this guy as a professional psychiatrist who walks around with a ponytail that he never brushes. Yeah, so, uh, I could, I could, I, could, I will introduce you mm, to that person. No, the film did work for me in that it's not really a remake because it covers mostly the years where Michael Myers is in the sanitarium. He's played by a professional wrestler whose name escapes me right now. Too. He's a 10-year-old right. in, in this one who kills his sister and her boyfriend and his mother's boyfriend. Um, oh, we should say mm-hmm. that in those... Was it in the second movie where they indicate that Lori yes. is Michael Myers' half-sister? Right. And that is why he is infatuated with her. There's nothing in the first movie that indicates that no, he's no, no, infatuated no. with her creation. because she's there. Well, because the thing is, it becomes in the first film, it seems to be enough to say that he's just killing all the babysitters on the block. Right. In the second film, then you have to make up a reason why is he so obsessed with killing her when he could kill everyone in town. Instead, he has to go to the hospital and and just murder his way through all the hospital wards to try to find Laurie Strode. Right. So that's why they had to create a reason why he's so fixated on her. Um, yeah, and they do some interesting stunt casting. The the Rob Zombie one does uh, some interesting oh yeah. stunt casting. Well, Danny casting. Trejo had a really good part in there. Um, he, well, and also, um, one of Laurie Strode's friends, mm-hmm. Annie. Right. Right. We know Annie and Linda. Same character. It's the same characters. Um, is played by Danielle Harris, who had played Laurie Strode's daughter right. yeah. in those other three movies. Also, we've got uh, D. Wallace making an appearance. Anytime you want to put D. Wallace in a fucking horror movie, do it. She's amazing. It's only going to be good for your movie. Um, and Brad Dorif plays the uh, Sheriff Brackett. And That's a man you should never trust with a gun. <laughs> you shouldn't trust him with anything. <laughs> He is yeah. a creepy, creepy looking dude. I bet he's the nicest. I'm but sure I can't. he's a really nice guy. Um, so those are those movies were made in 2007 and 2009, um, basically retconning the whole thing, kind mm-hmm. of going back to scratch. I don't believe in that narrative. Laurie is related to him. Mm, I don't think so. Um, I only saw the first of the two. Yeah, I didn't see the second mm-hmm. one either. Which was a sh- which I don't know why I didn't because I really liked the first one, but. Then so, we come yeah. then we come to a full nine years later, it's twenty eighteen, and Dor- David Gordon Green is doing what uh Jamie Loftus of the Bechdel cast referred to as Halloween H four O. So we have we're retconning all the way back to the first movie. Yeah. In this movie, uh Jamie Lee Curtis is playing Laurie Stroud, or Strode, Strode. Laurie Strode, and she says he murdered five people that night and has been locked up since then. Okay, so we have retconned all the way back. They caught him somehow. They don't talk about how. And her life has been, she's basically a survivalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her daughter in this is called Karen, Mm -hmm. not Jamie, which good because you can't make Jamie Lee Curtis the main character and then name her character's kid Jamie. Well, they went in a whole new direction with this. They did. Uh, And her daughter's played by... Judy Greer. Judy Greer, who put her in everything. She's wonderful. She's fantastic. 
Her name is Karen, and the way that Jamie Lee Curtis says her name is hilarious to me because it is that tone of speaking to every white woman. Mm-hmm. You have no security, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> And I really feel like they took that name uh-huh. like for that sort of memification. I love it. <laughs> of course, Michael Myers. Okay, so we open with podcasters. <sighs> and it was world. really like a physical attack. <laughs> <laughs> really, I felt personally attacked. As soon as I saw those two and the, and the field mic, I was like, oh no, podcasters. <laughs> They're doing a true crime podcast. And the, the way that the kind of contempt that they're treated with, because they're not really journalists, but they're calling themselves journalists. Oh, no. yeah, it no, was, they're really good characters. It, was, it doesn't go well for them. They go to this, the, uh, Michael Myers is about to be transferred from this place where he has been studied for 40 years uh-huh. to basically a pit of hell. Right. Where he's just going to be locked up until he dies. we should mention he's again played by Nick Castle. Is he? I wasn't sure. You he's never see by, his he's face. He's played by two actors, um, and one of them is Nick Castle. And one of them is Nick Castle. I think Castle. also That's Nick awesome. Castle at this point is, what, 70? So I think they might have used him for the non-covered right. face. You see him without the mask, but never front on. Right. You see him, like... Three quarters from the back and the back of his head. Which you is never see his face. Consi- that's really well done because you get... You the, do see right. the knitting needle hole scar right. from exactly. the first... Because Lori in the very first movie, her first move is grab a knitting needle and shove it in his neck. And that scar is there. And I was like... <gasps> <laughs> That's Sorry. why she deserves to survive. So we're not going to go to I, we're not going to go point by point because the movie's only been out for a week when this w- releases. We mm-hmm. saw it, you know, the Friday it came out. No, Saturday. We mm-hmm. saw it on a Saturday. So we're not going to go plot by plot because we don't want to spoil it for you because we don't it's spoil a it. very good movie. It's quite good. It's very entertaining. There's a lot of callbacks to that first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast is very good. Like I said, Judy Greer is great. Will Patton is playing the sheriff, who is a character from the first movie. He was the first responding sheriff's officer, or sheriff, you know, sheriff, I guess. Sheriffs and officers are different. I thought for a second it was going to be Tommy, Mm -hmm. who apparently is a character in some of those six through nine movies or whatever, Um, but not Tommy. Um, Also, we should mention, I don't really know how to pronounce her name, Andy Medichek? Yes. Who plays Allison, and she's another focal point of this movie, which is the So that is Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter's daughter. Right, We're looking at a three generations of badass yes. ladies. And that's what I liked about the film. It's like they look collectively like the Furies in Greek mythology. Yeah. And when they get going, they get going. And you should know, there's a reason that Michael Myers kills people one at a time. Three ladies get together and bad things happen to Michael Myers. I'm just saying. Well, there's a a great number, and I don't want to give away some of the really neat ones, where they let you know that in some ways, Laurie Strode and Michael Myers have switched places. There's a a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that. Where she's become a predator herself, but not... Please, no. uh If you have seen the trailer, there is a line in the trailer that bugged me Every time. And that is when Jamie Lee Curtis says right. this, these words in this order. This is a, a good actress. And she says, he's a killer. 
but he will be killed tonight. And it is a terrible line. It is a bad reading. It is not in this movie. And I was like, thank... Because I was like, as soon as we get to that line, I am going to fucking come so hard out of this film just to be like, what the fuck are you doing, writers? Have you ever heard the English language spoken? Because it doesn't seem like you have. It doesn't sound like anything anyone would ever say. So, it's not in the movie. Right. Hallelujah. Uh... But yeah, no, I I do. This movie is very good, and I I don't want to spoil any more of it. But um, I, all of the they retcon it all the all way the back to zero. Were good. All of the the choices they made, the directorial choices, were really good. Laurie's character at this point is exactly what you would expect from a person who suffered this. She's got PTSD. It's clear right. that she has PTSD, and, and what she's, she's done to her twice daughter, divorced. Too. Right. Her daughter was taken from her at the age of twelve because she's training her daughter in combat, essentially. Yeah. I think one of the funnier bits in the film is um, there's a, a safe room that they've escaped to at one point, and there's a gun rack, and you get a sense that Judy Greer's character, you, you, she's recollecting her childhood because there's a gun on the gun rack that has a lightning bolt scratched on it with her initials. With her initials on it, And yeah. it reminded me of uh, the film The Natural, where, you know, the, the childhood baseball bat that winds up being the magic bat that Robert Redford's character there's uses. There's a magic bat? Oh, he, I need to see this it's movie. It's a... A bat he made from a tree that was struck by lightning. Oh, cool. So it becomes the magic bat, and he, it has a bolt of lightning on it. And it's like, oh, my God, that's the kind of thing a kid would do. Yeah. You know, it was such a, like, this is the scars of her childhood suddenly are going to become what she uses yeah. to survive. And it's a, there's a lot of that in this movie. Yeah. So there is still, I mean, it's a slasher movie, so there's still a little bit of slut-shaming. Um, there were some characters I didn't want to see die. Yeah. The, I was. There's there one was, character I won't go into because it'll ruin the surprise of what yeah. happens. But there was a, some interactions with adults and children that were really lovely. That were very lovely, and um, and yeah, and some diversity to their yes. writing of I'm these not characters. Sure. The character. Now, tell me about the, the boy in the truck with his dad. That's who I'm thinking of. Right. It's just like I'm not sure what we were supposed to take away from. I him. don't know if he was. He was being coded as being gay, or at least maybe gender non-conforming right. if that's even a thing if you want to say that boys don't dance this was a boy who was with his hunter dad and saying right. i like to hang out with you i want to go hunting with you but i don't want to do it during the week because i've got dance class right and i was like this is awesome yeah and, and then, then i got real sad <laughs> <laughs> but not sad because it was being. Um, but it wasn't. There right. was, and the dad was totally. He was only there disappointed. Was no, there wasn't more hunting. It exactly. Like, that's what yeah, it was. He was like, "But I want to be. We, you know, I right. want to hang out with you." And, and the he's kid like, says, I, "And he's yeah. like, is it really that important to you?" And the kid's like, "Fucking yeah!" yeah. Like, <laughs> so I was just sort of surprised that this conversation is being had. Yeah. We're not being fed the same kind in of a, people in clearly a right. rural area. Yeah. Um, and I do want to speak for a second. Mm-hmm. To the NRA and their claims against Jamie Lee Curtis, who is an outspoken um, advocate for uh, smarter gun policy. Mm-hmm. Well, she uses a gun in this movie, and she's anti-gun. Could we not? Well, here's, could we not with that ever? And here's the it's a, it is a yeah. fictional piece right. of work. It is. A, a world in which there are serial killers who just straight up don't die. Right. Who might be possessed by evil. She <laughs> is a survivalist. Uh-huh. She is clearly a person 
who practices gun safety. Like, you can see, like, there are smart guns. They're all in a safe. Like, it's all, Mm. you know, she's she's doing, she's practicing regularly. Like, right, she's doing everything. You can be for gun control and not anti-gun, first of all. And second of all, she's an actress in a movie. Fuck you. So then what should we also take away from the other movie we've seen her in that she gets sexually aroused when she hears Russian? Yes, Because that would be something that... that, But, I mean, that's something that we've discussed too. I'm a 220-pound martial artist, right? Congratulations. So my point is that I can say... She is a slight woman. Right. I can say, well, you don't need a gun, but I... You don't need a gun. Right. Small so, women against large men who don't die. Who don't maybe die, yes. need a gun. So the thing is, that it's so it's realistic in the context of a film. The first thing she would do is to equalize the odds. She's also at this yeah. point in her sixties. Yes, that's the other thing. Is she that, is forty years. Well, right. maybe late fifties, probably. Right. It's forty years on, and she was in high school, so she's sixteen, seventeen. Mm-hmm. Then. So we're looking at 57. So this is 60. a woman who is also, it's like, this is the only way to equalize the odds. Yeah. And I love the fact that at the end, there's a kind of convergence of generations of this family yes. to fight this evil so that it doesn't perpetuate. Right, right, right. And she's not, she, her, she is a very good actress. I have a great deal of respect for her because of the work that I've seen even since, you know, um, since Fish Call Wanda, it's like, wow, she was really good. Yeah. But... The, the way that she takes this character, like she's unstable at times. She, um, the interaction between her and Judy Greer playing her daughter are yep. really good because they're like... Her breakdowns right. in it are really good yeah. where you're just like, oh no, this woman has never gotten over it. Right. And there are, you know, teens, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're following her, her granddaughter and their friends as well. Right. There's a little bit of a nice guy... Yeah, don't go into Push, it too much because it'll spoil which, things. But. Yeah, so, I mean, there are certain things where you're like, oh, this is a little bit of a Me Too movie. Right, but it needs to be because at this point, what did we do? We've been watching 40 years of women being stabbed in the breast by this guy, mm-hmm. right? Or choked or punished for having sex. Yep. So at some point, you're going to have to address the inherent misogyny of a slasher genre. Yeah, well, and yeah, and all of the women meet... They might all die. Mm-hmm. Women and men might both die. Right. Typically, the men get killed much faster than the, the women. Men also get killed dressed. Also dressed. You don't see a naked man being stabbed. No, back, because apparently all women do is sit naked right. and wait and, to and be and murdered. Their hair. Right. Um, but yeah, so I really appreciate the fact that this is taking it in a different direction. All right. So let us wrap up our Halloween mm-hmm. conversation with non-Halloween, but maybe for Halloween. I don't know. What are you going to recommend? Are you going to recommend anything? I'm going to recommend a Other film. than Halloween 2018, right. go ahead and go see that David yes, Gordon please do. <laughs> I saw a film, Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes, you did. A couple of weeks ago. It's one of the best films I've seen in a long time. I really, really, really appreciated where this film went. This is very much like what Pulp Fiction was doing, which is mm-hmm. it's creating a neo-noir it felt to me like a lighter version of a Tarantino movie, mm-hmm. which is what I enjoy. Well, no, I no, liked don't it, mistake that for being light. Like I liked it better right. than Tarantino films. Mm-hmm. Now, Tarantino is not my favorite. Right. That's me. And I understand that people love him. Mm-hmm. He really likes the N-word. He also likes a lot of... There's a lot of, again, misogyny yeah. to what he does. Even when he's doing a film like 
um, Kill Bill. Kill Bill. There's still these women get beaten up, raped, and knocked yeah. sideways half the film. Mm-hmm. What I liked about this movie, and to, to give you a sense of what the plot is, it's a group of people. There's no plot, y'all. Good luck. Converging <laughs> on um, on a hotel that sits on the California Nevada border. Yes. And there's all sorts of mysterious things going on. There's a lot of you know. There's an FBI agent. There is a singer who's going for her shot at stardom. There's a priest who might not be a priest. And it takes we, you a know of, all of this in the preview, right. although you know you don't actually. I don't think know about the FBI agent. But, but. you take a lot of the uh, the characters that were sort of almost archetypes in the, six, in the 60s, yeah, including the cult leader. Yeah, uh, and I have to give a shout out to an actor who I'd always been on the fence about before. I mean, I like Thor, but uh, Chris Hemsworth, yeah, who's an actor I've always thought was really fun he's to watch. He's excellent in this. This he's well, you're just like, oh, I joined that cult. He is yep. really good in this movie. And <laughs> is he going to pay and, me attention? I will join that cult. <laughs> and Jeff Bridges gets to, you know, act. I think, unfortunately, he's... Jeff Bridges he's, is very good in this. It right. makes me want to go see Crazy Heart. Right. This, watching this and then wa- and watching... Um, mm-hmm. What's the movie? The Star is Born. Right. Together make me want to watch Crazy Heart, but I know Crazy Heart's going to break my heart, so I'm not like prepared for it. I want to see him do. I mean, I've been watching him my whole life since King Kong way back in the day, and so I've always really appreciated his performances. I want to see him get nominated for this because there's a scene where he sits at a table and explains an ailment that he has yes. to a character, and there's so much. Yeah, his, space he, is, his face it's is doing it. Yeah. It's really good. And there's a lot of characters in here. They all get their own backstories. It's like very much like a And they let film. Cynthia Erivo sing right. like throughout the movie. Right. If like, I know she's not going to sing in Widows. I mm. get it. It's not right. a musical. But man, her voice is something. It's amazing. And just everyone in this film is really pushing it. And it's, yeah, it's an ensemble Oh, and it's got cast. a Dakota Johnson, not yeah. in a Fifty Shades movie. Yay. And I was surprised by how good she was. She's and people are unexpectedly... I don't want to spoil it for you because people checking it out of the film, pun not intended, um, and you don't know what's And it all happen. takes place like in one day. Right. Yeah. And so all of the flashbacks sort of lengthen it out. Well, But yeah. it's a really good film. And especially if you have a fondness for film noir as a genre. Yeah. You know, these sort of characters pushing against the sinister um, world, yeah. Some people aren't liking it online. I mean, Those people are wrong. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> That's all I have to say. What did you like? this? Because I know, I know that there's a film that's been on your mind. I hate when you just don't ask me the question. Um, I, okay, so should we start again? No, it's time? fine. I'm going to leave all of this in. Uh, <laughs> because I don't know, how, what do I have to do to get you okay, to say it? cut it out. We'll start again. What would you recommend this week? Um, there's two things, really. But I'm going to go with the important one, which is a movie in theaters that you might have thought was going to be an after-school special, but mm. is actually better than that. And that is The Hate You Give. Uh, it stars the young lady who played Rue and got fucking backlash in the yeah, Mocking J or Mocking or the uh, Hunger Games movies for being, you know, black like the character. And she uh, is a, a young woman who is touched by police violence, and it's that story. 
told in a very interesting way. It's based on a book. Um, people say that one of the problems with it is it's got a pretty pat ending. It's based on a YA novel. Right. That's not really a thing I'm going to level against something based on a YA novel. If it's bringing attention to this fact and it's doing it in a, in a good way, then, you know, it's important and people should be watching it. Um, I was ignorant as to the title, so I didn't love the title, but here's what the title is. I'm just going to break it down for you. Um, It's based off of Tupac's Thug Life. It's his tattoo, and I believe it's in a few songs. It stands for The Hate You Give Little Infants Fucks Everyone. It is an anti-racist and an anti really anything ist Mm -hmm. sexist um anti-homophobic it's an anti what's pro anti-anti-poor like it is pro the people is what it is and uh so that's what thug life his thug life stood for and that is uh a theme throughout the movie and they talk about it so i was educated thanks movie I appreciate it. And the performances are very good. Uh, we got to see Russell Hornsby, who is Hank from Grimm. Right. As the father. Yeah. He's great in this. And I really liked seeing him because I was like, well, I know Grimm got another job. What's he doing? <laughs> so he was in this and he's very good. Um, but everybody, I mean, it's got Regina King in it. So, I mean, come on. Issa Rae is in it. She's lovely and beautiful and strong and wonderful. Uh, The kids are all very good. You know, it's about code switching. It's about figuring out what to say and when to say it and when to stand up and for whom. And uh, it's very good. You're good. I was when I saw the 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 trailer makes the it look a little bit like yeah. a Lifetime movie or an and you're going to special. get a kind of a homily, you know, yeah. through the film. And I I was concerned about that, but I'm glad that and it is uplifting. And it, you know, it does right. end up, but it's uh, it's well done. Right. Good. So that's that. Is that everything? I think it's everything. It covers everything. It's not a Halloween movie, but it is scary. So, if you want to see something Halloweeny and you want drama, I would recommend *The Hunting of Hill House* on Netflix. Yeah, we'll talk about that right, later. We'll I talk think. about it later. Maybe we'll just drop it out of this. Oh, okay. that's sad. Serial. Um. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, you can find us on social media at LatecomersPod right. on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Also, LatecomersPod at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. We like emails. Yes, we do. We've never had one. I think we had one. Oh. Okay, well, we want more. More. Send us more emails. Agreed. You can subscribe. You can tell your friends about us. Tell all of your friends. All, all of, them. of them. And... um. Oh, let's look at November, actually. Let's do a quick what's happening next month because this is our last October episode. So next month, we will be watching another four movies. Next week, we will be watching Watership Down, hopefully. I don't know if we're going to be able to find it. Yes, we need to find a good copy of it. Followed by A Cry in the Dark, uh, 
y'all may be familiar with that being uh, with the with its tagline about a dingo <laughs> and a baby. Uh, then we'll watch the siege uh-huh. and Baz Luhrmann's Australia. Oh, so that's going to be a oh, big Lord, chunk of yes. our lives. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's our November. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be drinking mm-hmm. during at least one yes. of them. Um, I'm going to be drinking during Every time someone talks with an accent, we'll just... Oh, Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all of these movies. It's a lot of Australia next week, next month, <sighs> so... But it's fake. It's a hoax, so... Uh, so that brings us to the end. We love you very much. We thank you for listening, and we beg you to remember... Better, better late, late than, than never. never. Happy Halloween! It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Time.